You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's a famous clip from a movie that we enjoy regularly at our house. If it's on uh, cable and available, that, A League of Their Own, the baseball movie, and Shawshank Redemption happens to be three of my wife's, my wife's, I only have one wife. <laughs> Don't put a V in there, it's an F, I have my wife's favorite movies. And so as I was preparing to get ready to do this first piece of the armor, the belt of truth, I remembered this clip. And Tom Cruise is questioning Jack Nicholson on the stand, and he says, we deserve the truth, yes. And then Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. I think there is some reality to that sometimes in um, dealing with life, just in terms of uh, how we... I think sort of put a buffer sometimes between what we're willing to acknowledge is reality and sometimes the pain that we're enduring in order to be able to face the truth. Um, a great man of God went to be with the Lord in the 1990s. He uh, was the editor of Charisma Magazine, who used to be Logos Magazine. Um, he was a Southern Baptist pastor and graduate of Mercer University, graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, pastored Southern Baptist churches uh, over 10 years in South Carolina, Texas, and Florida. And then in the charismatic movement, he had the tremendous experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. His name is Jamie Buckingham, and he said this quote. He said, truth will make you free, but before it makes you free, it will make you miserable. Amen. How many of you know that? Truth will make you free, but before it makes you free, it will make you miserable. And he was a tremendous writer, preacher, founded Tabernacle Church in Melbourne, Florida. When he passed away in 1992, he had, had 2,000 members growing spirit-filled congregation. And so this morning as we jump in, that's kind of my intro as we talk about the belt of truth. I'd like you to stand with me one more time. I know you've gotten comfortable. Great job, Pastor Haley and Clayton and Lisa. We love all that you guys do. This is number two in the series called Suited. You'll notice that we have a great-looking suit up here that we know commonly in the 20th and 21st century, as you see a sharp-dressed man, the one that we're going to look at, this is just a costume these days. If you leave church and you see somebody walking in that down Missouri today, <laughs> you might want to take a picture, maybe call somebody and check it out, you know, because this is not typical. But it was very, 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 very typical in the day in which Paul wrote about it. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Title of the message is called Suited for Truth. We finished up Built and we connected it into this series because we are built for battle, God's army. So as we roll into this today, the text that we're going to be memorizing for the next eight weeks is two verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. So find a screen where you can see it. I want you everybody heartily read it out loud with me. Come on, here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer this morning. God, we thank you in this place that you break every chain, that there is power in the name of Jesus, that there is an army rising up, and it's called the body of Christ. It's called the bride who is called to be holy before the Lord. Thank you today that as we break open the powerful ideas that are in this little simple line about being fastening on the belt of truth. 
God, I ask you today that, Holy Spirit, you'll do what only you can do. You will teach, you will arm, you will equip, you will adjust and correct, and you will invest, you will encourage, you will guide, you will guard all the things that you can do like no one else can do. Do that today in this place. People have different needs, varying circumstances, all kinds of struggles. We want to be real. We want to be open and honest. Jesus, take our hearts, change us. I just acknowledge before you and everyone hearing this that I am utterly dependent upon you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. But God, I thank you that with you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're our source of strength. Let us be strengthened in the strength of God today. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. And as we jump into this, we have one thing. I try to bring an encapsulation, a, uh, a sentence that will give you the broad sweep of what we're trying to accomplish. And if you remember anything, if you can grasp this, and I want us to, to read, this will be the last thing I ask you to read, but I want us to get it twice. I want to say it out loud so they can really understand what's being said. Here we go. Truth is a person and a principle. It holds everything else together. By it, everything stands or falls. Here we go one more time. Truth is a person and a principle. It holds everything else together. By it, everything stands or falls. So this morning as we jump into this series where we're going to actually, we've been doing a flyover of Ephesians, but now we're not only just riding through the Rocky Mountains, we are down on the footpath. And we're going to take uh, one little sentence, one little line each week and talk specifically about these units, these pieces of equipment, this armor of God that the Apostle Paul writes about and tells us that we're all to put on. Prior to that, there are two verses I want to grab. Uh, it says it this way, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. So you hear withstand... You hear, stand firm, having done all to stand, stand therefore. So the emphasis is all about standing. I will quote uh, Tom Petty again this week. You can stand me up at the gates of hell and I won't back down. Isn't it a shame that sometimes a person in the world has a bigger understanding of perseverance in the face of opposition than sometimes the church of Jesus Christ does? Now I can say that because all truth is God's truth. Uh, truth, you know, I, we can know this morning that the air that we breathe is 75-80% nitrogen. You don't usually think of it. You th usually think of oxygen, but actually most of the air you breathe is nitrogen. There is no place in the Bible that I can take you to and turn to and show you that that truth comes in Scripture. It is no less truth because all truth is God's truth. Say this with me. All truth is God's truth, okay, which means that we may grasp this truth from a secular authority, from someone who doesn't even know Jesus, but they understand truth, okay? And we believe that truth is not merely an idea or a philosophy or a worldview or a particular understanding of a concept in any of these kinds of things, but truth is a person. His name is Jesus. This is what we're about at Victory. It's about connecting you in a relationship. It's not about religion because you can have religion and never know Jesus, you can go through the motions, you can understand the rituals, you can stand up, sit down, you can pray, say the nice, right response in the right time, you can get wet, you can 
You can drink the juice and eat the bread. You can go through all the stuff, all of the calisthenics of Christianity and not know the central figure and his name is Jesus Christ. Truth is a person and a principle. And we don't just want to make it a heart matter only with a relationship. We also want to define it in terms of intellect and mind and understanding and reasonableness so that we're able to have a faith that is strong based in the heart but fortified and strengthened in the mind, head and heart. Everybody say head and heart. Okay, uh, there's a quote there that says, if you, if you don't take a stand for something, then you will fall for anything. That's just a good, pithy statement that has been known for probably centuries. You have to take a stand. You must uh, be a person of convictions. It was uh, Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers, that said, if we don't hang together, we will all hang separately. And that was the awareness of standing together. And if we don't, if we're, not, if we're not unified, if we don't stand together, then we can fall for anything. Now, what I want you to see this morning is a picture. The Apostle Paul is not telling the people all to go out and acquire a bronze breastplate or a bronze shield or a steel sword or Roman soldier's shoes or a helmet with whatever that red decoration on that top piece is, um, he actually is using, now this may surprise some of you, and, and I'm going to say this on purpose because I want to help folks. There, anytime I get in front of a group of people in a service at 9 o'clock that's got anywhere from 75 to 100 folks and then you add another 100 to it in the 1045 service, on a Sunday morning, any given Sunday, we realize, I know that there are people that are struggling with all different kinds of temptations and sin issues and um, patterns of behavior and living and mindsets and lifestyles. There are people who've come from religious backgrounds and because of that you might have been grown up in a legalistic setting and there are others that are struggling with very real sin issues that are what we might refer to not as legalism but as license. And so what I'm trying to help people do every time we come together, there are newborn babes that are just happy to be here. They've met Jesus and they're excited and love everybody. They hadn't been around long enough to know that that people might not like them in the same building that they're in this morning. They just love Jesus and love everybody else and think everybody else thinks the same way. And they're going to mature and realize that folks have issues. And so every time we gather, I've got newborn babes and I've got some mature folks. And if I'm telling the truth, it's the very same way in a house, in the very same way that you have adolescents in the house who typically think they know more than their parents. They're spiritual adolescents who think they know more than the leadership and have themselves way overestimated and think they ought to, be, ought to have already been released into this ministry or that, and it's just a place of spiritual adolescence, and it's a struggle, and it, sometimes you just have to kind of hit your head against the wall, and you have to just give kids enough rope to kind of let them go, and you don't want them to hang themselves, but you want them to wake up and realize that the world doesn't revolve around them. Somebody say amen. And so every time we gather, there are all kinds of struggles, there are all kinds of mentalities I want to introduce you to the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the road. It's the straight gate and the narrow way which leads to life. Job 28, 12 says, There is a path which no fowl knows, and the vulture's eye has not seen. It's an Old Testament de definition or description of Satan, the, the, the death-eating bird, the, prey, the bird of prey that eats on carcasses and dead things. That's Satan himself. He's a vulture. 
There's a path which no foul knows and the vulture's eye hath not seen. Isaiah 35 says there is a highway of holiness and I want to show you the path and I want to get you on the highway. And, but the thing is there's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's a religious ditch of legalism on one side and there's a sin-filled ditch of license on the other. And too many times folk will have been raised one way and if they've had a lifestyle that's been filled with sin, never been in church many times, instead of walking in the road of righteousness, the way of holiness, the straight gate and the narrow way, they'll get up a full head of steam out of the sin they're in and go jump into the other side of a bunch of rules because they think they've never had them so they have to have all of that. Those who've been raised in the church and everything is a sin except eating after church on Sunday night. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Everything in the world is a sin. They've been raised in legalism and sometimes they begin to hear the truth of the gospel. And this is what religion does. It says trust Jesus plus. Trust Jesus plus don't drink. Plus trust Jesus plus don't smoke. Don't chew and don't run with girls who do. I mean, it's all this other stuff you add. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is trust Jesus. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? Now... I'm not saying that you, that you don't have a place where you have to deal with those things because we've been very specifically nail on the head dealing with stuff that the Apostle Paul says, now based on who you are in Christ, don't keep walking like you used to walk and live in the world. So we're not skirting sin issues. But we're not going to make the gospel trust Jesus plus anything. The gospel is the announcement that he's paid the penalty for your sin and he has broken the power of your sin. Come on, somebody. But I don't want you to get free from a sin demon and go get full of a religious demon over here in, in, in legalism. I have a friend who pastors a church, a huge, several thousand member church, Robert Owen in Reno, Nevada, great man of God, wonderful brother, sort of a son in the Lord to uh, Ed, I can't remember, he wrote uh, Maximize Manhood years ago, great men's ministry. And uh, Robert, in and out of the casinos and all kinds of situations. He says, Michael, I'm going to tell you something. I would much rather be out here and fight the sin demons than I fight because where you are in the Bible Belt is a lot harder to deal with religious demons than it is the sin demons that I fight because people have sense enough to know that the sin will kill them. But when it's couched in religiosity and it's couched in all these rules and do's and don'ts and you start adding to the gospel, folks get all offended and all upset and all of this nonsense over some of the most ridiculous things and they end up being in bondage though they're just in church bondage it's not sin bondage it's church bondage and they've never experienced the freedom that Christ wants to bring to them and what I'm trying to tell you is that truth cuts through the sin but it also cuts through all this religious nonsense over on both sides of the road both ditches on both sides of the road are anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning now uh invariably over the years, and I've been doing this for 30 years, I, I'm not a novice. I didn't get saved three years ago and trying to be an expert. I've been doing this my whole life. And invariably somebody once in a while will say, Pastor, were you preaching to me today? And I usually go, well, yeah, if you thought I was, I probably was. And this is the reason that I love expositional preaching. It means you just take the word a line at a time. Therefore, nobody realistically can think that I'm just going cherry-picking Scripture, trying to pick a fight, picking a topic, knowing that they think I'm going after them. Because eventually, if we just read through the Word, it's going to slap everybody in the room. Are you hearing me? 
it, my, my pastor, I love him dearly, Ray McCollum, will be with us for a three-day weekend in late September this year, going to preach a great series for us that I've invited him to come preach. And he says it this way. He says, you know, people have asked me for years, Pastor, were you preaching to me today? And he says, well, if you think I was, then I was. He said, let me just tell you this. He said, you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. You'll get that in a minute now. So there's something about truth. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And uh, when, when we just open the Word and let the Word be the Word, you can have the feeling wondering like, has he stopped by my house and picked up my mailbox? He sure is reading my mail today. What's, what's, what's up? What's going on? And so, so what I want you to see is truth has the ability to do that. And I literally, God knows my heart, I spend sometimes days, hours in prayer wrestling down struggles that I'm having because a shepherd has to love the sheep. And that means I have to love some who just bit me the week before. That means I have to get up here and with a smile on my face be willing to forgive and feed those who've stabbed me in the back and they don't know that I know about it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, we, 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 this, everybody looks say, say, victory is real talk. We don't play the religious games. I, I tell you when I'm struggling. I tell you when it's real. And, and I point regularly going, there's nobody perfect in this room except Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. And so when we start to talk about some of these things, we come sometimes come from a lot of religious backgrounds and we can get all tangled up and tied up in a bunch of nonsense fighting battles that literally are nothing but distractions and dust wars and skirmishes because if the enemy can keep us entangled with one another, he keeps us from defeating him. Are you hearing me? And the point of this whole thing is that that, that we have a very real, very powerful enemy, but he's not omnipotent. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But we have the champion on our side who is all-powerful, and his name is Jesus. Come on, he's already won the war. He defeated Satan at Calvary. The Bible says in Colossians 2.15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. Everybody say, he showed out. He made a show of Satan and his hordes and the imps of hell openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, the Apostle Paul takes a completely secular analogy. There is nothing churchy about this. There is about that. As a matter of fact, this is how you would define a sharp-dressed man today. And, and I'll just tell you right now, we bought this. This is a brand new suit for Pastor Jeremy. He's going to get it at the end of this series. Well, look at these mannequins. You think I'm going to hang a suit for me on one of these little skinny things? For real? So I looked at the size of the mannequin, and I looked around, and I said, well, I'm going to bless my brother. Go, go to men's warehouse, pick you out, and I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lusting after this tie right here. I'm kidding. This is beautiful. This is common. This is, you see this all over the place. This is pervasive in our culture. It is 20th century. It's 21st century. It's the way men dress. Let me tell you, this was common in Paul's day in 62 AD when he writes a letter to the Ephesian church from prison with two of these chained to him, one on both sides, and he literally describes what they have on. But he uses a completely secular analogy to teach a holy, sacred truth. 
It's physical. This is just a picture. He's not saying everybody run out and get you a Roman soldier's uniform. That's not what he's saying. Let's don't get confused. Every one of these physical pieces has a spiritual reality that brings understanding. And so as we begin this, we understand that the first three pieces and the order of this is very important. Strangely enough, you would think that he would begin with a breastplate or maybe even put on the shoes of peace first. But Paul begins with the belt of truth, girdle of truth. As a matter of fact, the King James says, gird, girt about, G-I-R-T, girt. How do you like that? Girt. That's, that's uh, definitely a King Jimmy word that we don't say anymore. Uh, ESV says, fastened on the belt of truth. And the whole point of this is that it is to gather everything up and get it in place so that the soldier is ready for action. Because when he is not in a place of readiness for action, what looks like a little short skirt here actually would come down almost to his ankles. So all of this is gathered up and it's, it's tied into the belt and the belt also holds the sword of the Spirit and it holds the shield of faith. The first three pieces that are listed are all fastened to the body. You don't get them off easily. The belt is around the waist and it holds everything else together. Truth is a principle in a person. By it, everything stands or falls. It holds everything else together. The belt of truth is the first thing that the Roman soldier puts on. Then, next, you find the breastplate of righteousness. This thing literally, with laces, is snapped and buckled and laced in around him so it, he has to actually have some help to get this thing on and off. All right? And then you put on the laces of the shoes of peace, which is really cool because it, you're going into battle, but you're walking in peace. And I'm going to let Pastor Jeremy preach that all he wants to. He's going to tear it up, okay? First three are fastened. The next three are all loose because I have to use them. I have to be able to move the shield around to be able to catch the fiery darts of the enemy that are attacking me. I have to be able to freely use the, the sword of the Spirit to be able to take off the head of the enemy that's trying to kill me. Uh, the helmet of salvation is movable. Okay, so it, it, it's, it's not something that is attached and, and won't come off. And then finally, so we have three fixed pieces, three loose pieces, and, and there's a reason for that, and we're going to develop that as we begin to teach this series. The last one is kind of an unseen, invisible uh, a piece of armor and weaponry, and that is the spoken word. It says praying in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So three fixed, three loosed, and then one that is spoken. So those are the seven pieces of the armor of God. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? All right, now what I want you to see is that folks who struggle, because I'll be honest, I had some people got upset with me last Sunday because we opened this series with ZZ Top and Sharp-Dressed Man. And we weren't trying to do anything. We didn't want to be offensive. We were just trying to say, look, as a new creation man or woman of God, God wants you dressed in Jesus. He wants you dressed up in Christ. Because this is the same thing right here that Paul was saying when he says, put on the whole armor of God. I'm going to read now from Romans chapter 13. Listen. Uh, he says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Say that phrase with me. Put on the armor of light. Say it again. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, 
not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And he says it a different way now, verse 14 of Romans 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Say that with me. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to, to gratify its desires. So when Paul writes to the Romans, he says, put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ. He writes to the Ephesians, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Remember just two chapters prior in Ephesians 4, he says it this way, put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He says, and put on the new self. Say that with me. Put on the new self. He says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And look at the first thing that he speaks to when he says, put this armor on. Put on the new self. He says, having put away all lying, falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Everybody say, speak the truth. Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So every time he's laying this line, whether he's preaching to the Romans, writing a letter, whether he's speaking to the Ephesians, telling them about their walk and putting off the old manner of lifestyle and the behavior and putting on now the new self, which is created in righteousness and true holiness and the image of God. First thing he says is get rid of the falsehood, the lying, and he says speak truth. In the same way he says put on the armor and the first piece he says fasten on you the belt of truth. So there's an order here. We're talking about truth as a principle, truth as God's word, truth as God himself. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. God is true and every man is a liar. Why would we have truth to be first in these lists? That's a great question. I'm so glad you came and asked this morning. Why is truth listed given the place of preeminence and it's listed first? Before I answer the question, I want to give you three of my favorite Winston Churchill quotes. He is a hero of mine. I love history. I teach history in a couple schools in the area, Memphis and West Memphis, uh, Mid-South Community College sometimes if they need me out there for American history. Uh, listen, Churchill said it this way. He said, let me get my readers on. For whatever reason, I printed this way too tiny a font uh, when I typed it up. We occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of us pick ourselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. So it's like truth hits us, but then we just sort of go on living our lives the same way and don't really expect any change. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And we just sort of turn our backs and go the other way. Second quote by Churchill on truth. This is my favorite of all of them. He says, The truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it. But in the end, there it is. You can argue with it. You can get upset. You can get offended by it. You can throw tomatoes at it. You can do whatever you want to. But in the end, truth is still sitting there. It's unchangeable. It is absolute. It is the definition of what God refers to when he speaks of faithfulness and integrity. Somebody say amen. Now, last one, look at this. He, Churchill says, a lie gets halfway around the world before truth has a chance to get its pants on. <laughs> and, and there's so much reality in what he just says. And the reason that I chose that one last is because I believe this is why truth is the first thing we put on in the armor of God. Because Satan is a liar. He has no truth in him. He is the father of lies. He, he tempts, he deceives, he accuses, he steals, he kills, he destroys. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All of these things we've talked about in a couple of messages in the past all deal with his lying to you, his deceiving you, 
He's trying to lure you away from the destiny to which God has called you to be the man or the woman of God that you were fashioned and made to be. Come on, somebody. Listen to John 8.44. You are of your father the devil. You know what? Uh, The Pharisees never had to ask the question, Jesus, were you preaching to us today? (laughs) Because he looked them in the face and called them a bunch of snakes. What if if I just named two or three of you and said, y'all are just a brood of vipers? What would you think about that? Or, you know what? You're just a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. You just, you just pretty up death and you stink and everybody knows it. It's time to tell you the truth. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Now, I'm going to leave that hanging. I'm just trying to make a point. It's a hoot how people think things ought to happen in church. You know, how about that for your answer to the question, what would Jesus do? That's Dennis the minister up there. I'm sorry. It's like, I want to go, do you read your Bible? Look at this. You're, the fa- you're of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the... He's talking to Pharisees, religious leaders. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Somebody asked my former pastor in North Carolina, great writer, tremendous intellect, teacher of the Word of God, they said, Pastor Varner, how do you know when the devil's lying? He used to say, honey, when his lips are moving. Because he can't tell the truth. Everything he says is a lie. Everything he does, he has no creative ability. He perverts the good things God makes. He twists the truth that God shares and he makes it into a lie. Come on, somebody. Lying was the first sin judged by God in the New Testament church, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You might think about that next time you sit down and I look you in the face and you tell a lie to me. You know, maybe you might not fall dead on the spot, but I promise you judgment will come regardless. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, the challenge for me sometimes is to get up and love and feed people that I know that have lied to me that week. I'll just let that one hang. Look at your neighbor and say, man, he's doing some real talk today. 614, stand therefore having your loins girt about with the truth. That's the old English King James, loins. We don't want to be too plain or crass this morning. Let's just face it. You don't use the word loin unless you're standing at the meat counter going to buy some pork. You don't talk about your loins in polite public. Uh, When you look up the word loin in the Greek lexicon, it literally means the place of generative power. Parenthesis there, it says the word semen. I don't want to offend anybody. We're not... But we, we, we want to be grown-up adults and be able to speak to the issues. Literally, the belt of truth is covering what you reproduce. This is not just a natural lesson. This is a spiritual thing. You are reproducing the life of Christ in your life when you have everything girt up with truth. You have truth fastened on a, as a belt over your life. Come on, somebody. That's the reality of what we're saying uh, Jesus said, you know, you're going to know the truth and the truth will make you free. And, and if, if I have to stop every time I stand up in the pulpit and go, well, I have to X that line out because he and her and they are wrestling with that and I don't want them to think I'm preaching to them. And if I have to, well, no, I can't say that either because those and, and them and they are, are wrestling with that. And so before you know it, it literally defangs the lion of the truth of the Word of God. I have to get up here. Let me just say what I wrote when I was praying this week. The man of God must be led by the Spirit of God to speak the Word of God and not be bound by the people of God. 
All right. Let God's truth deal with your head. 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a set of practices that began as some ideas that possibly began in a temptation. And I've given myself to it, and it's become something that I have developed an addictive pattern of behavior. A stronghold is something that has captured me in my thinking, in my speaking, and in my doing. Thought, word, and deed. And it's going to take divine power to destroy it. It's going to take another brother or sister to walk with me in the power of agreement and pull that thing down. First of all, with a heart change and a head change and then an action change. Come on, somebody. But the Bible says we are not warring in the flesh. But we have, literally, the, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They have divine power that enables us to destroy strongholds. And look how he says we do it. Here we go in verse 5. Uh, it next, it says, we destroy arguments. Everybody say arguments. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I grew up quoting this from the King James. It says, casting down imaginations. Come on, images in our minds. The way we view things, the way we see things. Come on, every sexual sin begins somewhere as a thought. And God has given us the ability. You don't have to say, well, I was born this way. Well, men will be men and boys will be boys. Well, girls will too. You don't have to give yourself to anything other than to Jesus Christ. And if you will deal with that issue in the thought arena at the root and cut it off at the root in your thoughts, it will never grow up into a plant and produce the fruit of the sin. Did you just get that? Now, what that means is you have a choice in what you think about. You can take, go back, I wasn't ready yet. Go back, look at it, it says, everybody read that last line after the comma and the third line. Here we go. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. You can make your thoughts obey Jesus. My grandfather quoted Martin Luther, and I think I've shared this in the last week or two. It all kind of runs together after a while. But he said, you can't help it if a bird flies over your head, but you can certainly keep him from building a nest in your hair. That's how the enemy tries to, to distract you, to steal, kill, and destroy. He will slither up into the garden like a little snake into a little crevice, into a little place in your mind and plant a seed. And then the more you spend time meditating on that, that serpent has just hatched some eggs. And it becomes a den and a brood of vipers in your mind. And a stronghold there all of a sudden takes over. And it's going to take the Holy Ghost. It's going to take divine power. It's going to take the strength that comes in the name of Jesus to be strengthened in the strength of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit to destroy what we have let get built up in a stronghold. And the way we begin to do it is by the Holy Spirit we have a heart change and we have a head change. And then we begin to live and act differently. Thought, word, and deed. Now, Peter grabs this same concept. Listen to this in 1 Peter 1.3. I'm reading from the King James so you get the same idea. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So you don't realize it, but your life, the reproductive ability of your life is not just 
south of your belt, but it's right up here. Well, this is where you actually reproduce what you think about and meditate on today becomes reality in your life tomorrow. Come on. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he, Proverbs 23, 7. So he says, gird up the loins of your mind, he says, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've got some scriptures there. I wish I had time to open up. Uh, John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then Proverbs 420 is great. Let the word be first, let it be final. If I had time, I would open it, but I don't. I'm going to get the last point this morning. Let God's truth deal with your heart. Truth has to deal with how I think, and then it has to deal with the motives of my heart. Proverbs, uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. I'm, I'm fast-forwarding ahead to when I'm going to preach on the sword of the Spirit toward the end of the series. Sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions, the intents of the heart. So God not only wants to change your thoughts, but he also wants to get into your heart and find out what's motivating those thoughts, the, the intentions, the desires, the motivation, the intentions of your heart. Listen to what the word says in Psalm 51.6. This is the famous passage where David cried out to God after having been confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan looked at him and said, Thou art the man. And David fell on his face and he cried out and repented. And he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. This beautiful passage, this is what he says. He says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let God's truth not only deal with your head in arguments and imaginations, but let it deal with your heart. So it becomes truth on the inside out. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants truth on the inside. Come on, tell somebody. Now, this is what I want you to grasp because I have an illustration and then one passage of Scripture and I'm going to be finished. I meant to bring a piece of pottery from home with me that came from Peru in my mission trip down there a few years ago um, because I wanted to show you a passage of scripture out of the book of Philippians that deals with this whole issue of truth and truth in the inward parts, integrity, wholeness, genuineness, sincerity. Okay? Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians. I've got two verses, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And, and what I want you to see about this, the importance of this little word sincere, let's pretend this is a piece of pottery. And I'm a merchant in the city market. And maybe I've had a bad day, I've had, been under pressure, the last few weeks with family stuff at home, but I am selling my wares in the bazaar in the market in Jerusalem. It's what? 57, 58 AD, almost 60 AD. We, we've got Romans on every side. You look around and you see these by the hundreds of thousands, men marching through the city, basically pledging their fealty to a pagan 
emperor. His name is Caesar who believes himself that he's the incarnation of Jupiter. Zeus is the Greek name. Jupiter is the the Roman name for the God that's over everything. And Caesar believes that he's an incarnation. So literally they have to pronounce and say Caesar Kurios, Caesar is Lord. So when Christians come along and they start saying Jesus, Jesus Christos Kurios, Jesus Christ is Lord, that was a political statement. That smacked in the face of a guy on the throne ruling the Roman Empire, the whole, what was in the, what was called the known world, all over the whole Mediterranean basin. And, and, and these uniforms that you see pervasively all over the place, like that today, this is what was common. It was seen all over the place. So Paul shows us a sacred reality by using a secular example. And literally, what he's saying to us in this, this market out here in this world, in this life, in this culture in which we're living, when he writes this in Philippians chapter 1, he says that you may approve excellent things and that you may be sincere and without offense. The word sincere literally means without wax. Everybody say, without wax. You matter, what, what, do you, what do you mean without wax? Well, it was a common practice among merchants in the market of this particular time of the world where they would make clay pottery and sometimes maybe the clay mixture that they would mix up might be a little bit weak and so when it comes out of the kiln, out of the fire, then maybe there's already a crack in the side of it. Well, guess what? If you have a vessel that's going to be used to hold water or something that would be a cooking instrument in a home and you're, you're trying to sell something that you've made and it's got a crack in it, guess what became a common practice among these merchants? They would see that immediately a crack was already uh, revealed there. And so what they would do many times would melt candle, they would melt wax and put it into that crack and then very carefully and artistically take some plant-based paint, food coloring of some kind, and, and, and put it over so they had that same clay color over that little line. And maybe they would paint a little figure of a, of a donkey or a palm branch or something on that and sell it in the market. Well, you know what? You go in there and you buy that vessel that's made out of clay and it has a crack in it. When you get it home and you have something with some heat in it and the wax starts to melt, then the contents of the, the pot just begins to spill out. Well, what can you do? You know, many times you go back and you say, listen, your pot was cracked. And the merchant says, no, you cracked it. You, you, you dropped it. You broke it. You cracked it yourself. I'm not giving you your money back. So people began to realize that this was a practice among merchants that didn't have integrity, didn't have truthfulness, didn't have genuineness, sincerity in their hearts. And so uh, literally, before you would buy a piece, of property, uh, a piece of pottery, you would see people, let's pretend that this is the mouth of a, uh, of a pot, they would literally hold it up toward the sun in the direction that it was beaming down. If the sun is noon straight overhead, they would hold it up so that the light would come down into the mouth of the pot and when the light comes down into the mouth of the pot, it would literally reveal a painted waxy crack because the sunlight would shine through. The literal Greek word here where it says sincere literally means found pure under examination of sunlight. And this just blows my mind to read this in the Greek lexicon. It's so beautiful. To be found pure under examination of sunlight. Now, if you, if you get that this morning, that'll preach for you the rest of the day. Come on. What we need is a good old dose of the sunlight, the S-O-N. Get the light shining in our hearts so God can deal with our cracks and we can quit putting our little waxy cosmetic adjustments on, trying to fake it in front of people and, and not being real. Come on, somebody. Because God wants you to be without wax. 
He wants you to be sincere. Everybody say sincere. Sincere and without offense. This whole point is, is that if, if I'm easily offended all the time, it's probably because I've got some insecurities. Some folks, I, this is why we're in a body together, so we can help each other. And Somebody will love you enough to look at you and go, Honey, you need to get over it. You just need to learn to not be so easily offended because people are going to offend you. We are an equal opportunity offender here at Victory. It just, it just happens. I don't even mean to. It just happens. Somebody's probably offended at this message today. It's something I've said. I'll get an email. And, and you know, I just want to, hey, I want to help you. I'm trying to help people. And undoubtedly, somebody won't like the way I said something or another. How many of you know that if we're that easily offended, it's probably not... Help me, Holy Ghost. It's probably Some folks are just an offense with a head on it. They're just walking around waiting to be offended about something. Am I helping somebody? Come on, help me. Am I telling you the truth or not? Now, the hilarious thing is, is this is just honest to God. What, what Daddy used to say, this isn't even common sense. This is horse sense. Horse, H-O-R-S-E, okay? He says, this is just stuff that everybody ought to know. And yet we don't, nobody even breaches these kinds of subjects and talks about it at church. And then we have people that are walking around and that are 30 years old in Christ and still in diapers. How many of you know if you lead people, if you supervise folks at your work, at your factory, anything you ever do that you lead people, you come to realize that growing old and growing mature sometimes are mutually exclusive. Some folks grow old and never grow up. Pastor, you better end this on a happy note because I'm a little bit ticked off at you right now. <laughs> Come on, before the truth makes you free, it'll make you what? Miserable. Miserable. <laughs> All right, this is my close right here. This is what I want you to hear. Listen to this in Psalm 51. ESV says it this way, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We've talked about the belt of, belt of truth girding us We've said, let God's truth deal with your head. Last point this morning, let God's truth deal with your heart. Now, this is it. Listen, this is Psalm 51 from the message. This is, it moves me deeply every time I read this. David repented before God and he said, you're the one I've violated and you've seen it all. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. God, whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Say that with me. Truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set those once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. This, this just grabs me down to the very visceral part. It just, just it hits me in the gut. 
And that is, he's literally saying right here that in the midst of your personal struggles, in the midst of the mess that you have in your life, he's likening it to the whole earth that was without form and void in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, Light be! And he began the creative week of seven days of bringing order out of chaos, bringing beauty out of darkness and light that penetrated all that mess. And David is crying out in his sin and he's saying, God, give me a fresh start in my life. You see it. God, whatever you decide, it's up to you. I lay it before you. You've seen the full extent of all of my junk. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to be waxy. I'm not going to cosmetically dress it up. I'm going to call it what it is and I'm going to tell you that I'm struggling down to my toenails and I don't know how to do it. And I ask you, oh God, to enter me and conceive a true new life on the inside of me that I can have truth from the inside out and not just act like it on the outside. Because I want to tell you, it's real easy to act like a Christian. It's another story to react like a Christian. I can put on a face. I can be a pastor. And I can be a part-time Christian while I'm a full-time pastor. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? I can act the part. But you tick me off, and it's in that moment where you get the chance to really see who I am. To act like a Christian is easy. To react like one is another story. And so it's in that moment where you get a glimpse of yourself and you go, God, I'm broken. I need you. God, take this mess. Do a fresh start in me and give me a Genesis week in the chaos of my life. Take this dark, broken nonsense, this chaos and this mess and let your spirit hover over me and speak light into my darkness. Come on, somebody give God some praise this morning. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile and put a fresh wind in my sails. That's hope for every person in this room. That's how you get girt up in the loins of your mind with truth is that you call it what it is. You quit faking it till you making it. You quit cosmetically dressing it up and smearing wax over your broken edges and you just say, God, this is me. I'm naked before you with whom I have to do. God, search my heart. See if there be any evil way in me. This morning, if you're struggling with any kind of pattern of behavior, if there's a stronghold in your life, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell to defeat that until you deal with the big issue, and that is deal with the battle of sin. And Jesus has already done that for you at Calvary 2,000 years ago. He paid the penalty for your sin to save you from hell, but more than that, He paid... He paid the price to break the power of sin so you can be free, so you can not walk around in bondage. You can have sin bondage from junk that will destroy your life. You can have church bondage, have religious legalism, just adding something to the gospel. Trust Jesus plus, whatever it is. I just want to tell you very quickly, very plainly this morning, the good news of the announcement is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christos Kurios, He is the Lord of the universe. Is He Lord of your life? He can be in this place before you leave this room this morning.
He can give you a fresh start. He can do a Genesis week in the chaos of your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed.